Why, hello there. This is Jonathan Edwards, host of the Pure and Simple Bible podcast. I'm so thankful for you being here today. I say it every time, and it always is true. I'm grateful for listeners, grateful for you joining me today. You know, it's a very special treat because today I get to interview my dad. My dad is a father that every father should try to be like. He is an excellent husband, a great father to two sons growing up. He's a great grandfather to our children as well. And beyond his family roles, dad is an amazing scholar of the Bible, especially of the Old Testament. And getting to hear him preach is a treat. Now, I'm probably as biased as one could be. But I'm very thrilled to have him on here, and I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Dad brought a study in to the studio called Things God Hates. And full disclosure, several times I refer to it as Six Things God Hates. And it wasn't till about halfway through our conversation that Dad paused and said, Well, you do know it's seven, right? So pardon my blunders as I say six several times when in fact it is seven, and we do talk about seven. So the confusion was from me, and I apologize. So I want you to think about things that God hates. And the word hate itself, it doesn't sound like a word we typically associate with God, and yet the Bible does use it from time to time. With those thoughts in mind, let's jump into a great conversation with my dad, Doug Edwards, about things that God hates. Well, Dad, I am... Very excited to have you in studio with me. You're the the guest of the century. Mm-hmm. So thank you for being here. And um, you're in town for a s- group of studies on the eldership with our congregation at Denton County. And um, so I thought I'd try to double dip by having you join me in the studio. So thank you for coming in. Well, appreciate it, Jonathan. I'm thankful to be here and glad to have an opportunity to help the church at Denton County this week. And Glad to have an opportunity to study the Word of God with your listeners as well. All right. Well, Mom is my number one fan, so she's <laughs> get, she gets to have her hubby and her son on the podcast today. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to talk about a study that you've uh, prepared called Things God Hates, which is, uh, you know, we'll get into that in a moment, but I, I noticed that the way you actually begin the study is by talking about certain things that God loves. Why don't you take some time to explain that. Okay. The Bible tells us that there are things that God loves, obviously. In Psalms 11, verse 7, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. In Psalms 37 and 28, for the Lord loves justice. In Micah 7 and 18, who is God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. The the word delights carries with it the idea of love. God mm-hmm. loves mercy. Okay. John 3.35, the Father loves the Son. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. In 2 Corinthians 9.7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when we combine all of these verses together, we see there are several things specifically mentioned that God loves. He loves righteousness. He loves justice, mercy. He loves Jesus. He loves the world. He loves cheerful givers. Now, these verses ought to get our attention 
because we want to be more godlike. We want to be like him. Right. We want to love what God loves. What God sees as important enough to love, we also want to see as important enough, uh, important enough to love in our lives as well. Okay. But God also hates some things. And the same truth that we desire in wanting to love what God loves should also cause us to hate what God hates. You know, that makes me want to ask about the hatred or the, the hate that God has. Um, typically, hate's a concept that we, you know, it's a negative attribute. So is, is God's hatred that in that same negative attribute that maybe we might put man's hatred in? Well, there's a difference between man's hatred and God's hatred. Man's hatred is characterized by sin. When we hate, the problem we have is because of sin. Right. God, right. on the other hand, is perfect, and God doesn't sin. And when God hates something, he's set against it. Now, I don't want to be doing something that God hates. Right. Whatever God is set against, I want to be set against also. Okay. Now, there's a passage that I want us to look at here. It's in Proverbs chapter 6 and begins with verse 16 and goes down through verse 19. It's pretty familiar. Your listeners have probably heard this one before. Okay. You mind if I read it? Go ahead. It says, um, Proverbs 6 verse 16, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Uh, and you talk about a pattern here between these six things that God hates. Uh, what kind of pattern do we see in this set of scriptures? Well, it's kind of interesting that the passage uses body parts to show what God hates. It uses the eyes, the tongue, the hands, the heart, in the feet. Notice that it starts from the top and goes down to the bottom. It's like he's saying that the whole body's involved. Mm -hmm. Now, while literal body parts are not sinful, in other words, your eyes aren't sinful, your right. feet aren't sinful, right. our sinful passions may, may use these in our doing wrong. Now, what we want to do, we, we want to look at these, this little passage, you know, part by part, idea by idea, and see what it is that that God hates. It makes me think about um, when Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's kind of going along with what you're saying. Uh, the eye didn't, the physical eye itself didn't cause you to sin. It's a problem of the heart that's mm -hmm. manifest in the things that you're looking at. So is that kind of in the same vein of uh, Jesus is talking about getting rid of the things that you're, I guess, dwelling on and, and not Literally saying to, you know, gouge your eyes out. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, th so the purpose of this uh, study then is just to look at these one by one all the way down. Uh, so I guess we'll begin with the proud look. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Okay. Now, again, all of these things that are mentioned here are things that God hates. Right. And we want to hate what God hates, and we want to love what God loves, and we don't want to get that mixed up. Okay. We don't want to love what God hates, and we don't want to hate what God loves. But if there's some characteristic, some practice of man that God hates, then we want to see that we have the same feeling toward it as well. Let me, let me ask another off-the-cuff question. How do you get to a point where you hate what God loves or love what God hates? 
Well, if you if you love the practice of sin, if you love what the world teaches and you love the things of the world, then you're loving what God hates. And likewise, when a person hardens his heart to where he despises spiritual things mm. and doesn't love the truth, doesn't love things that are godly and holy, then he's hating what God loves. Yeah. And so that's possible you know, on both sides to love the things God hates and to hate the thing God loves. And it's pretty easy to identify it in others, but then sometimes self, you, you kind of justify mm. the things you love or the yeah. things you hate. And I mean, it reminds me of Jesus in Matthew 7, you know, pulling the big plank out of your eye before you get the yeah. little speck out of It's easy else's. to find fault in others and not in your own life. Right. And the Lord hammered that point home to us in Matthew 7 very plainly. Yeah, well, then I guess for the listeners, that it's, the listeners' challenge is, how do these apply to me and not... I'm going to make a list of all the people I know that need to listen mm-hmm. to this podcast because they've got these problems. Um, a proud look is the first one. So, wh- what do we have to know about that? Well, one of the first, one of the great kings, rather, in all the world's history was Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar carried off Daniel and others from Jerusalem. And we know, like in Daniel chapter four, that he had a dream. Mm-hmm. Actually, he had a dream in chapter two. And he wanted his wise men to come and interpret the dream, and they couldn't do it. Daniel was called in. He interpreted the dream, and he became very important in the the kingdom of Babylon because of that. But he had a second dream, and that dream is recorded in chapter 4. Okay. In this dream, he uh, he sees a great tree that grows up into the heavens. And this tree is a wonderful fruit tree, and the animals gather under the tree for the protection and food. Then in this dream, he sees an angel come down and chop that tree down. And it turns into the vision of a person, and this person, is, his heart is changed from that of a man to a beast. And it's like he's out in the fields, and he's eating grass like the animals, and his fingernails grow long and all. And, and Nebuchadnezzar wasn't sure what that dream meant. And so Daniel came and told him that dream is about you. Mm. You're the tree. You're the one that's a great man, but you're going to have a problem because of that. And then the the Bible tells us what that problem was. Down in chapter 4 of Daniel, uh, verse 30, uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, the king spoke saying, is this not great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling place for my mighty power? And for the honor of my majesty, notice he's full of pride. Yeah. Look what I have done. Yeah. Look what I have accomplished. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven. His hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. So his big problem was pride. Pride. He thought he had done all these wonderful things when God was the one who had been ordaining him. I'll, I'll confess that sometimes I stand on my back patio and look at the yard that I've just mowed and I think look at what a great job I've done and then I think uh oh <laughs> I don't want to be like Nebuchadnezzar whenever I look at my cut grass um how how do how do you go from this story to 
our connection to maybe our lives? His story is a reminder to us of the dangers of pride. It, it reminds us that pride is something that God hates. Now, our pride is probably not this dramatic. Okay. God's not going to make you or me lo- lose our senses and <laughs> act like an animal. Right. But pride does do all kinds of damage. Pride hurts relationships. Mm-hmm. We know that. Yeah. Pride breaks up marriages. Pride destroys friendships. Pride can even split the church. It can keep people from getting right with God. Pride right. can cause us to do things that, that we know we shouldn't do. Sometimes pride causes people to think they're right with God when they're not. Pride can even keep us from doing certain works in the church. It can cause us to do certain works uh, because uh, we love the, the praise and the applause of men. Well, with pride, we tend to overestimate ourselves yeah. and, and look down on others. I guess I struggle with pride in what you just said, that sometimes I feel like I can be more interested in what others think about what I'm doing than whether or not it's what God needs me to be doing. Um, Jesus, I've heard one preacher call it approval addiction, when we're more interested in the approval of others instead Mm -hmm. of the approval of God. But it is centered on pride. I suppose mm-hmm. even though you might be wanting to just get the approval of somebody, it's because you're wanting to have that proud feeling. What's the difference between this kind of pride and then whenever I want to say to one of my kids, you know, I'm proud of you for what you've done. Is there a distinction between these phrases that I'm using? I think so. I, I think we can look upon certain things with pride. If we want to say that we're proud of our family, we're proud of uh, certain things like that. But pride becomes dangerous when you take self and you place self on that throne that's in your heart. Now, Mm -hmm. Jesus should be on that throne in your heart. But sometimes we take self and put Jesus on that, uh, put self on that throne. And pride usually is what's caused that. Because of pride, we placed ourself on that throne in our heart. And that's when pride becomes sinful. Okay. Well, it's... I'm going to restate um, something from your notes that says with pride, we tend to overestimate self and look down on others. And that's just such a powerful quote. Um, So I hope that people who are listening will will consider what that means to overestimate self and look down on others. Um, Mm -hmm. James four, verse 10, if I can go ahead and read that, I'm going to poach it from your notes. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So is that the opposite of pride is instead of overestimating self is to you know, put your confidence in God and let mm-hmm. him do the lifting? That's right. Notice it says he will lift you up, not you will lift yourself up. Oh. He will lift you up. Okay. That happens when you humble yourself. Well, uh, that's the first of six, right? So right. we're a, a proud look. Uh, the next is a lying tongue. What do we see here? Okay. When the church was first established on Pentecost, 3,000 people obeyed the gospel. And these people came from basically all over the world. And many of them continued there in Jerusalem even after the day of Pentecost. Evidently, some of them even wanted to stay longer. And obviously, their finances would run out. And so there were members of the early church that wanted to help these people. Mm -hmm. Brethren began to sell their lands and bring the proceeds to the apostles so that this could be distributed to to these needy people as well. And I imagine the human nature being what it is would pop up a lot. Someone would 
sell some land and bring it to the apostles and the apostles would distribute it and and these people would receive some praise for doing that right well there was a couple watching this and watching it very closely and they saw and they liked the praise of men so they come up with a plan and they decided they would sell a possession keep back part of the money from themselves give the rest to the apostles and then pretend that that it was all now i'm sure you recognize the story it's found in acts 5 right and it's ananias and sapphira right and i won't just read all the verses to the story but you know they concocted this plan and first of all Ananias shows up and brings the proceeds and all, lays it at the feet of the apostles and told his story that uh, we've sold this land and we've brought it to give to the needy. Peter had some very sobering words for him. Peter says in verse 3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie Mm. to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Well, his wife came along a little later and did the same thing. He, he would die on the spot. It would be carried out to be buried. Shortly after this, his wife would show up, tell the same story, and the same end happened to her as well. And I think the story illustrates what the, what the Bible means by the fact that God hates a lying tongue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying... That God's going to strike you dead when you lie. Right. If he did that, you know, there'd probably be a whole lot less people in this world. Uh, If God struck people dead when they lied, we'd probably have fewer kids at school. (laughs) Because I tell you, when I was a teacher (laughs) a few years ago, I heard a lot of lies coming from kids. Yeah. There'd probably be fewer people at work. Uh You know, think about the workplace. If God struck people that told lies, there'd probably be fewer politicians. Yeah. If God struck people for telling lies. And sadly, there might be fewer people in the church if God right. struck us for telling lies. Yeah. Well, the only dogs that would eat homework would be legitimate dogs that ate homework <laughs> because there wouldn't be any lies about that. That's right. Um, is there. Maybe I could take on the, the point of view of somebody who's listening to this and and they try to justify maybe smaller lies. You know, there, are there lies that maybe don't hurt as bad or, you know, you're saying it because you want to protect someone's feelings and so instead of the cold, hard truth, you just try to cushion it with the lies. Is that the same thing? So you're talking about what we commonly call white lies. Yeah. Little innocent lies, little white lies. Well, the Bible doesn't make that distinction. Okay. That's the point is the Bible doesn't make that distinction. And the reason lying is dangerous is because it comes from the devil. Oh. In John 8 and verse 44, Bible says you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in a truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own resources, for he is a liar Mm -hmm. and the father of it. And then the other scriptures we need to remind ourselves of as well. Revelation 21 and verse 8, all liars have their part in the lake of fire. Revelation 22, 15 but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. And then one more, Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. So mm. it's a dangerous thing. Right. And don't fool yourself into thinking, I can tell little white lies and they don't matter. Because they do. 
Yeah. Because lies come from the fa- uh, from the devil. He's the the father of lies. We just had a conversation with Gabriel this week at the breakfast table about the difference between deceiving and discretion, because he, uh, you know, he doesn't want to lie, and so he wants to tell the truth, but he also wants to enforce that upon others who maybe don't have the same standards that he does. And so he talks about how um, if something happens, then he feels like he is compelled to tell the teacher if somebody's done something wrong. Well, he's been accused of being a rat, <laughs> right? He's been, he's a narc. Don't, don't talk whenever Gabriel's around. And so we've, we've tried to talk to him about, you know, obviously we never want to deceive someone, but there may be times when it calls for discretion. Maybe that's something to, to bring up here is that um, if somebody who is overweight is wearing something and they say, does this make me look fat? You know, it's kind of, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place if this is somebody you care about because you don't want to lie. But then you can also hurt their feelings if you just say, man, you look like the broad side of a barn. <laughs> <laughs> so there's discretion of, oh, I really like how that color brings out your eyes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, it's kind of unrelated to it. But that that was a conversation that we just had this week at the table about. Mm-hmm. We never deceive, but yeah. discretion is yeah. a skill. Well, we have to learn to answer wisely. You know, consider your words before you speak your words. Sometimes we blurt things out right. and don't realize the consequences of what we're saying. So right. I, I think you have a good point. Use discretion. You know, you don't have to deceive. You don't have to lie. Just use discretion in what you say. Mm-hmm. Well, we've. if I can just review... Uh, of the six that we've talked about, put my notes down. Uh, we talk, we've talked about a proud look, and we've talked about a lying tongue. So now the third one that uh, Proverbs 6 had mentioned, things that God hates, is uh, hands that shed innocent blood. And uh, you, you have some thoughts on that. This may not be one that I that jumps out that I'm going to do. I, you know, I'm not waking up every day thinking, who could I murder today? But I do like where you go with it because I think there is application for all of us. So I'm looking forward to talking to this about this one with you. Well, most of us would probably think in our hearts, uh, I would never kill anyone. Right. I would never shed innocent blood. And this passage has no meaning to me whatsoever. But let's let's be patient and let's look into this passage and see if there might be some application to it. Mm. But I want to begin with the idea of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the very first two human beings. They lived in a beautiful garden and then they were sinned and then they sinned and they were kicked out of paradise. They eventually had two sons, Cain and Abel. Mm -hmm. They grew up in different occupations. Abel was uh, uh, took care of sheep. Cain became a farmer. Both of these were noble occupations. But we also know that because of pride or anger mm-hmm. or whatever, that uh, that Cain rose up and killed his brother. The Bible says Cain rose up against Abel and his brother and killed him. And those are terrible words, sad yeah. words, yeah. because Cain introduced a devastating plague that came into our world that day. It's a plague that spread like wildfire, and it still infects all nations today. And it seems to be running out of control in even some places. And that plague is murder. Yeah. Hands that shed innocent blood. It's a sad fact that many times on our local 
news in the evening, it starts off with a tale of murder in our city. How many times do you sit down to watch the nightly news and the the first thing they talk about, the first episode, is a murder or a group of murders yeah. somewhere. That's a headline in many of our cities and many of our nations around the world. And God takes murder seriously. Yeah. And God hates it. The Bible says this in Genesis 9 and 6, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Let me, let me pause right there, um, just to go back real quick to Cain and Abel. Did you do this intentionally where... Each one of these stories that you use an example builds off the previous things that God hates. For example, I was thinking about Ananias and Sapphira and how pride of what they saw led to their lying. I think about Cain and Abel, and uh, it was, you know, Cain's pride of seeing Abel's sacrifice led to him lying to to Abel and saying, hey, come over here with me. I'm going to show you something which led to the hand. Is this intentional or does it just line up the because the Bible kind of follows patterns? Well, I would like to say that it was intentional <laughs> and that I was a genius in putting this together, but uh, I know better. Oh. And it may not be intentional, but it does seem to fall back toward pride. Most sins, a lot of sins originate yeah. with pride and then from pride develops into something else. Some of these sins yeah. as well. You could even say Cain... Uh, lied to God or deceived him, you know, Mm -hmm. am I my brother's keeper just trying to deflect Mm -hmm. the truth away? There's a lot of uh, interrelationship between these sins mentioned here. Well, uh, God, um, talking about how hands that shed innocent blood, you do talk about how there are a lot of parallels to that today. It's not simply like it was with Cain and Abel. What, What are some modern connections that we might see? Well, God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. When, when innocent people are ruthlessly and savagely attacked, it causes the anger of God to swell. Mm. God hates terrorism. It is a horrible, cowardly, dishonoring thing for religious fanatics to blow up innocent people, right. men, women, and children. And for that type of behavior, we have to sometimes comfort ourselves with the idea that payday is coming someday yeah. for those that are involved. But history is full of examples of innocence being put to death, innocent babies. Mm-hmm. Remember that during the time of Moses, that uh, the children were to be put to death or the boys were to be put to death, thrown into the Nile River. The right. baby boys were to be thrown to death. During the time of King Herod, you know, all male babies under the age of two in the area of Bethlehem were to be put to death. Mm-hmm. And so we find several examples, even in the Bible, of babies, children, being put to death and we tend to to roundly condemn this practice and say that it's wicked and immoral to put children to death like this yeah but we have to stop and look at ourselves as a nation every year over a million babies are killed through abortion practices yeah how can we condemn pharaoh how can we condemn herod and not condemn ourselves it's sickening i some of the news articles that I read about how people celebrate abortion and uh, just how late term they want it to be, it's just disgusting. It's sad. It's uh, the modern day parallel of offering babies to Molech, you know, in the Bible where they mm-hmm. would want to offer their children thinking that somehow they were going to be blessed because they would 
give this to that idol. It's it's awful. Now, I'm let's say I'm a, a a Christian or I'm a believer. I'm in the Bible Belt, so I hear all of these things and I think, oh, that's awful, way over there, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's not me. I don't have to worry about this one. Let's go ahead and move on to the next one. What? What could I worry about, even if I wasn't going to pick up a gun or a sword or a knife and, you know, try to physically harm someone? Is there a parallel for me? Yes, there is. As Christians, we have to be careful not to be guilty of murder ourselves. Now, you may be saying, well, how is that possible? Like you just mentioned, I'm a good guy. (laughs) You know, I don't have a gun. I don't carry a knife. I don't go around planning to take someone's life. Mm -hmm. I've never killed anyone. But listen to this scripture. In 1 John three fourteen, but we know that we have passed from life to death because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. But here, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Mm-hmm. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Right. So that's a very dangerous, it's a very frightening passage of scripture right there that there is a sense in which you can be a murderer even if you don't physically take the life of someone by simply hating your brother. Jesus would say in Matthew 5, 21, you've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. He says in verse 22, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Yeah, in your notes, you, you're going to talk just for a a moment about the how we can hate our brethren. But maybe I'd like to ask before you get to the how is the why. Why is hate equivalent with murder? I think hate is equivalent with murder because in the fact of murder, in murder you're destroying the life of someone. And in hate, hatred, you're doing the same thing in a sense. Now, you're not taking their life physically. But in a sense, you are destroying them and trying to destroy their life yeah. and to ruin them. Yeah. I think about how, you know, God, John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So for a follower to believe in a God that loved them so much that he sent his son to die, to turn around and hate others, it's the opposite of what God did in sending Jesus. And so maybe there's a... Mm-hmm you know, just the complete antithesis to God's love and salvation that he offers is to look at somebody else and hate them with that violence, that violent hate. Well, what are some hows? Um, You know, if we're thinking philosophically about the why it's wrong to hate, but how could I actually hate my brother? Well, we could spread rumors about them. That's easy to do. You know, we could attack their character. Yeah. That's easy to do. We could try to discredit them in front of others and to put them down in front of others and also several methods just like that we've just mentioned here these are these are ways that Mm -hmm. in this this spiritual sense or figurative sense that that we could we could commit this murder that's being described here yeah we we oftentimes will we can justify our own failings but when somebody that we don't like does something bad against us it's because they're an awful person mm-hmm. whereas with us oh well i was having a bad day or you caught yeah. me at a bad moment but them they're just awful you yeah. know they're the worst yeah and so hatred uh 
can manifest itself, like you mentioned, in, in so many different ways, whether it's gossiping about them or just not giving them the grace that we're supposed to give our brethren. Well, um, we'd spend a lot more time on that one probably, but <laughs> we there's still three more, right? We've talked about three so far, mm-hmm. three things that God hates. The fourth one being a heart that devises wicked plans. You know, when I hear that, I think about some villain dressed in all black, you know, waiting to do some sort of mysterious, awful thing. But a lot of times I have to look at myself. How can I devise wicked things? That's the purpose of this is for me to to reflect on, on myself. So what uh, Bible example do you have to share? And then uh, how can I, you know, apply it personally? Okay. After the death of Abel, you remember that, that God cursed Cain and made him a vagabond in the land. Adam and Eve had another child by the name of Seth. And over the years, these two sons became the representative heads of all mankind. Well, we're going to pause it right there, and you're going to have to come back next week if you want to hear Dad's answer to how a heart can devise wicked plans, as well as the other things that God hates from the book of Proverbs. Now, uh, a lot of these things, like I tried to ask Dad in our conversation, you know, sometimes you just don't feel like they might apply to you. This is obviously for really bad sinners, and it's not for me. And my encouragement to you, if you are a believer, is to think about how it's possible for us to put on the mask of a hypocrite at times and justify our own actions when we might hold other people accountable who are doing the same thing. Always look inward and think about how you can improve. And if there are areas where you have sin, like these things that God hates, get the plank out of your own eye before you try to help get the speck out of another brother's eye. And that's my soapbox moment at the end of this episode. You know, you can go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com, and you can sign up for a free Bible study. Or you can send the link to others so they can sign up for a free Bible study. There's also Bible study guides so that you can have group studies with your friends. There's just a lot of resources there for you to use, including the podcast library and the video library as well. I try to make it a website that is always growing, and so it's a great way, a great opportunity for you to have a resource uh, that is updated weekly with a lot of different content. Go check it out. And until next week, This is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.